Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. God sets before each one of us a choice between life and prosperity, death and adversity. And our response, well, seems pretty clear, doesn't it? But Jesus is there to remind us that there is a cost to choosing life. Based on Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, and Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, this is the message entitled, The Cost of Choosing Life. Okay, let me see, first off, if I've got this straight. Jesus says this, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot, cannot be my disciple. Yep, that's right. That's what Jesus said. But quite honestly, and I think you'll agree with me here, the the words here sound more like an invitation to a cult than it does a teaching of the Lord. Moreover, it seems to contradict so much of everything else that Jesus teaches in the Gospels. It, It goes against sacred teachings about the quality of of the marriage relationship and a family, about the importance of keeping commandments, specifically the fifth commandment in this case, to honor one's father and mother. And while we're on the subject, friends, what about love? What about love? How does that play in here? Isn't Jesus always saying that we ought to love one another, that we must love one another? certainly doesn't jibe with what we're hearing Jesus saying in our text this morning. This clear admonition to hate, hate parents and spouse and children and even life itself for the sake of discipleship. That's not exactly the kind of stuff we church folk want to hear on a sunny summer Sunday morning. But there's no denying it. There it is, right smack dab in the middle of Luke's gospel. Words of our Lord Jesus that quite frankly come off as pretty offensive to our modern sensibilities. So the question becomes here, it really is always the question, but especially here, the question is, how are we going to deal with this? Does, in fact, following Jesus mean hating everything and everyone else? Let's unpack that just a little bit. To start with, I think we have to properly understand what Jesus was actually saying when he used the word hate. In biblical parlance, you see, the word hate was most often used in a relative context. That is, to hate something means that you love it less than everything else. So then most generally speaking, hate was not referring to wild-eyed fury or deep-seated loathing. Rather, when Jesus talks about hating, he's talking about the level of importance and loyalty and commitment one thing holds against the other. 
So Jesus' words here, I can assure you here, aren't meant to be heard as a command to deny love or faithfulness towards our family and others. But that said, we also need to understand that those words are meant to be a firm expectation on Jesus' part of undivided loyalty. In other words, to follow Jesus demands our complete commitment in terms of our time and in terms of our attention, our money, and yes, even our relationships. To carry the cross, to follow Jesus as his disciple, that is to come first, always first. It's to come before home, come before family, before possessions, before security, before our convenience, before our propriety. Sometimes it is to be even before life itself. And to this I can only say that doesn't make this passage any easier to deal with whatsoever. It's still tough to hear. Indeed, one of the most difficult truths of our Christian faith is that there is a clear and considerable cost of discipleship. In our United Church of Christ statement of faith that we read here aloud from time to time, they say very clearly there is a cost as well as a joy in discipleship. That cannot be ignored. And as Jesus spoke so very bluntly to the crowds who were seeking to follow him on the way, so he is saying to us now in 2022, if you're going to follow me, he says, if you're going to be my disciple, then you had better be counting the cost of that first. After all, Jesus goes on to say, if you're going to build a house, Aren't you going to first calculate what that house is going to cost to build? Are you going to make sure that you've got enough supplies, equipment, workers, and money to finish the job? Wouldn't a general be considered foolish to send troops into battle when the opposing army is twice the size of his own? Really, it's just simply common sense that potential costs have to be weighed long before any enterprise begins. And so it is with discipleship, says Jesus. Discipleship, you see, is fraught with its own set of perils. Discipleship has a way of radically shifting one's direction, changing one's priorities in life. And very often, Discipleship is going to put you at odds with the very people that surround you, the very people you love. And this is to say nothing of times when you will stand in utter conflict with the conventional wisdom of the world. You better know what you're getting into, Jesus says, because this stuff, it's going to happen. And it's hard. I remember years ago at a church I served, one of our members made a fairly public remark at a church event about a personal tragedy that had befallen one of our local politicians. Now, she had intended, I guess, for what she was saying to be both insightful and funny, to have kind of a political edge to her conversation. But instead, her, wor her words were clearly callous, 
They were hurtful and utterly tasteless. It was offensive. Offensive by any measure you care to put up there. So offensive, in fact, that, and I don't usually do this, but instinctively, as her pastor, in that moment, I spoke up. And, And I remember telling her, not unkindly, that what she had just said wasn't funny, it, it was a person's life we were talking about. And not only was this person uh, a, a member of our community, in, by the way, suffering in the midst of this untold tragedy, so were the members of this man's family and his friends. Many of the friends who were actually members of the church I was serving. And I concluded what I said by saying, you know, as Christians, we need to find some compassion. We need to keep our conversation at a higher level. Now, friends, I'm telling you this now not because of what I did or how I responded to that situation, but to confess to you how incredibly embarrassed I felt immediately afterward for having done the right thing, yea me, for speaking up. Folks, let me assure you of this. If you want to full-on stop a lively conversation in its tracks, if you want to suck the fun out of the room, that's exactly how you do it. But I will also tell you two things about that incident. First, that there were many who had overheard this conversation who came up to me in the days afterwards and shared with me that they wished they'd said what I had said in response to that tasteless remark. And second... I need to tell you that the experience haunted me for a long time because I was reminded in that event of other instances when I could have said something when it mattered. When perhaps in faith I should have said something to make a good and positive difference, but for fear of risking acceptance in my congregation, for fear of friendship, the loss thereof, for fear of of a lack of propriety or inspiring conflict or countless other lesser things, there were other occasions, many other occasions, when I sat by and I said nothing, having somehow determined that the cost of being faithful in such a situation was too great for me to bear. What is it that the Reverend Martin Luther King said? In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. It took a small little episode like that to make me see in great clarity that what we say and we do, what we don't say and what we don't do, is in fact a personal act of faithful integrity. And it is rarely easy. But then again, as Jesus reminds us here and throughout the Gospels, it's not supposed to be easy. Beloved, our faith is meant to transform every segment of our life and living. It is intended to be the governor of our behavior. It is supposed to be the determining factor in setting our priorities as persons and as a people. It is to be the singular power that pulls the needle of our moral compass in a clear and unambiguous direction. And so, yes, faith ought to affect 
how we raise our children. It ought to determine what we choose to teach them about life and about virtue and about honesty. And faith should be, must be, the vision by which we view others. And it's the first and last lesson in how we care both for one another and for the world around us. Faith is to be about compassion and tolerance and forgiveness and love in all things. These are the basic tenets of the Christian life. And yet, there are still so many of us who fail to live up to that standard of discipleship. But interestingly, interestingly enough, not, I suspect, because we don't believe it or that we don't aspire to it, but rather because ultimately we have determined that the cost is too high to live by those tenets. Let's be honest here. Let's confess confess before one another and before God that truth be told, too many of us would prefer a faith that's easy, easier at least. You know, middle of the road, moderately priced. But ultimately, that's not the faith that Jesus calls for us to choose. And make no mistake, friends, we are called to choose. You know, I have always been quite fond of our other text for this morning from the Old Testament and from Deuteronomy, in good part, to be honest, by how incredibly obvious that passage seems to me. Now, what we have here in Deuteronomy 30 is Moses recognizing that the people of God were once again at a crossroads and that there was a choice to be made, the consequences of that choice, which amounted to their whole future. He gathers up all the people of God and he fairly well roars at them, see, see. I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. Choose, Moses says to them. Choose so that you and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God. Now, and if that's not uh, direct enough for you, lately I have been reading from a relatively new translation of Scripture that's called The Voice. And in the voice, this particular verse is translated there in a way that really cuts to the heart of things, I think. Look, it says. And you can almost see Moses pointing at them. Look, I have given you two choices today. You can have life with all the good things it brings or death and all the bad things it brings. So choose life. Of course. Yet choose life. I read that and I think to myself, why would anyone ever, ever choose a pathway that pretty much assures that you're going to be destroyed? I mean, that's what I mean when I say this constitutes an obvious choice. From the voice again, I give you the choice today between life and death, between being blessed or being cursed. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Choose life. 
Choose life already. Whenever God, the Eternal One, is involved, wherever there are blessings to be received, you choose life. (laughs) And yet, we all know too well that God's people Israel didn't always have such a great track record in making the right choices. Not keeping to the choices that had, they had once made before. And for that matter, we don't have the greatest track record about that either. You see, the choices that God sets before us might well appear to be obvious, something that everyone would certainly desire. But here's the thing. Given our own human penchant to be going our own way as opposed to the way of God, and that's pretty much the definition of original sin, Given the ways we tend to justify or rationalize or defend our own bad choices, actually following through on those good and so-called obvious choices is something else altogether. The truth of the matter, I believe, is that we do want to choose life. We do desire what Moses put forth. We want what Jesus is offering us by following him But as Jesus was quick to point out in the Gospel reading, there is that cost to choosing life. There is a cost to being his disciple. And when you are not at least willing to count that cost first, if if you are not ready to calculate what all that means in your life and living, then you are not, in fact, choosing life at all. You're choosing something else. What it is, well, it varies, but it's not life. In his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis quotes the central character named Screwtape, who was a senior demon, advising his apprentice nephew in the most effective ways of, of tempting young Christians away from their faith. And in this passage, Scrooge says that, in fact, one of the easiest temptations comes in leading new believers into thinking that religion is all very good up to a point. After all, he writes, a moderated religion is as good for us demons as no religion at all, and much more amusing. It's true, because you know at its core, faith is an extreme act. It's far from being the warm and fuzzy release from all of life's demands. To choose life, to to follow Jesus requires of us to devote all, to give wholly, to look at the joys and benefits of our lives and still be able to answer Christ when he calls us to love him more than these. It is about willingly bearing the cross, knowing full well the cost of doing so. Of course, the great paradox of all of this is that along with all this this great and seemingly unaffordable cost of discipleship comes inexpressible joy. Remember what I said earlier, that there's this cost as well as a joy of discipleship? Well, let's flip that over. There is a joy as well as a cost of discipleship. And it is the assurance we're given to all of us who would turn our lives over to Jesus 
that we will receive it back again tenfold and transformed. Our days enhanced to the fullest measure of what God intends for us in the world. Our good news today is despite our continuing tendencies to fall short on our own good intentions, our joy still and always comes to us by grace, God's grace. For while we can never hope to bear the full cost of that joy, there has been one whose whole desire and purpose was to pay that price himself and did so hanging on a cross. Isn't it ironic that only by love given at the greatest cost do you and I ever begin to even understand love's true value? The same one who has loved us in just this way calls us now to take up our crosses and follow, to follow him into every avenue of life's mystery, wonder, and pain walking with him on a journey where we will discover our true purpose, our greatest joy, and know that that is found in living unto God's own kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. My prayer for us today is that each one of us make the choice for life. And by making the choice for life, that we also choose to pick up the cross of Christ, accepting its cost, and knowing that as we do so, we will know its joy. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Cost of Choosing Life. It was recorded during our September the 4th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the Church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. Now, if you don't have a church home or maybe you're visiting New Hampshire and looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation, and I think you'll be glad you came. I know I would love the opportunity to be able to welcome you. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.